In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. Oh, good, you responded. You did much better than the 8 o'clock service. Thank you. This little back and forth is known as what is called a call and response. And it is more than just a formality. In Anglicanism, we say that the way we pray shapes what we believe. Lex orendi, lex credendi. And this short exchange is no exception. In its own small way, it is reminding us of an important truth. The truth that as Christians, our whole life is shaped by the cycle of call and response. We are entering a season of calling in our scripture readings. Just look at our passages for this morning. Isaiah, the Lord called me before I was born. Paul, I, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And then there's Andrew. And Peter, and in a few verses we'll get Philip and Nathaniel, all these people called by God and asked to respond. We too are called by God, all of us. It's a shame, though, that we usually reserve the language of call for people looking to enter the ordained ministry because each of us is called, no matter our profession. However, rarely does the call come so clearly as it did for Isaiah and Paul and Andrew and Peter as a word directly from the lips of their Lord. Last week, someone was telling me that their four-year-old son asked her very genuinely right before bed, and it's always right before bed when they get you with the really big questions. He said, why doesn't God talk to us? Good question. One people have wrestled with for a very long time, and she handled it beautifully. She said, God does talk to us, but not always with words. More often through our thoughts and our feelings and our hearts and our minds and through the people that we love or admire. It was a good answer, but that means that our call from God is often much more amorphous than we might like. We say, listen for it. But the truth is, we don't quite know what to listen for. In my life, I have found that the call from God often comes first as a question. It's a question that I actually saw best encapsulated in a very strange Place. It was a slogan used in the marketing materials for a development campaign at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, the campus of which abutted the parish that I served before coming here. It was a massive campaign, so everywhere you looked, hanging from every lamppost, adorning every building, they had this question. What are you for? What are you for? 
Now, I don't know if it was the intent of the university to throw all their undergraduates into a state of existential questioning, but I did find myself this question quite arresting. And so did others. Apparently, they raised something like $5 billion. It's a question that can lead you down different tributaries of possibility. What are you here for? What are you fighting for? What are you looking for? That last one being the very question that Jesus asked of Andrew and his fellow disciple as he turns and finds them following him on the road. What are you for? This is the kind of question that can start to open us up to hearing God's call in our life. But where that question leads is not quite to an answer, at least not yet. It leads first to an invitation. Come and see. Come and see, Jesus says to Andrew and his companion, and they do. They come, and they stay with him, and they talk with him. What did they see when they were with him as they sat around the supper table and told stories? Well, the short answer is they saw God. As John says earlier in this opening chapter, no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who has made him known. But what did they really see? They saw someone who John tells us was full of grace. That is, a, a generosity of spirit. Full of grace and truth. That is both wisdom and honesty. They experience the power of his light and his life and his love, which John tells us are the fundamentals of existence. And I like to imagine that they gleaned some of the other characteristics we would come to see later in Jesus' life, already present in these early days, a deep compassion, especially for those who are excluded or oppressed. A desire to heal those who are sick and suffering, a desire and a drive for that which is just and right and good. A strength that was powerful but peaceful, and above all, a humility and spirit of servitude that sought to lift all people. These qualities are what they find when they come and see an invitation which becomes an encounter all sparked by a question. And by the next day, Andrew is convinced that they have found the Messiah, and his life is headed in a whole new direction. We are not so lucky as to have been able to follow Jesus down the dusty roads of Palestine or spend the night talking with him, but we have our own ways of encountering him, our own opportunities to come and see. We have the scriptures. We have the sacraments. 
in our prayers and in our worship, in our experiences and relationships. The invitation from Jesus calls out to us, come and see. And as we do, as we come to know and experience and learn from him, that encounter becomes its own answer to the question, what are you for? This, this is what you are for, to live in love as Christ loved us, to live like Jesus, to shine with the radiance of Christ's glory in all that you do, to conform your life every day in every way to his manner and character. That is what you are for. This is the response. To that call, there could be nothing more meaningful, more important to do with our life. And just as Isaiah then goes as a light to the nations, and Paul goes to the Corinthians, and Andrew goes to, goes to Peter, so too then do we go to show the light of the living God to all whom we meet. It is in our response that come and see becomes go and be. We need more of these kind of responses. Responses of people who, having encountered Jesus Christ, choose to live and love as he did. People who hear the question, what are you for? And respond, I am for peace. I am for justice. I am for healing. I am for love. We need more people to respond in this way. We need, we need more people like Joe. As we let all of you know yesterday, Father Joe Green has died. Here was a man for whom the call of God in his life and his encounter with Jesus Christ led to a response that echoed across this entire city, across the entire Episcopal Church. Here was a man who heard the question, what are you for? And answered time and again, I am for peace. I am for justice. I am for equality. I am for love. I am looking for it. I am fighting for it. I am here for it. That was Joe. In some ways it was fitting, I think, for Father Joe to pass away this weekend. The weekend that we celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. For I have not met in my lifetime a person who better embodied Dr. King's example. These were two men who used their lives to help people hear the call of God in theirs and then inhabit a Jesus-based response to it. For both these men knew that the nature of our response to this call becomes the nature 
of our life, and the nature of our life becomes the nature of our world. So if we want a better world, we can make it happen. So what are you waiting for? I hear them calling. Answer the call. For as these two titans of men proved to us, if we hear the call of Jesus and give our life in response to it, it really is possible to change the world. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, we give you thanks for your servants, Joseph and Martin, and all who have given their lives to your service by working for justice, peace, and love. Give us grace to hear your call as clearly as they, and courage to respond as faithfully. In the name of God the Father who creates and calls us. In the name of Jesus Christ who invites and enlightens us. And in the name of the Holy Spirit who sends us, sustains us, and sees us home. Amen.